if you're talking about the correlation and, and poverty, the correlation is skilled workers go to the economic centers. Yeah. Because to either improve their financial situation, their living standards, or their uh, career opportunities. And the periphery, as you mentioned, the, the outskirts kind of get left behind. And that's the same thing if you're looking at it from a more decentralized, fragmented global scale with developed nations versus developing nations. <laughs> Good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to brand new Social Confos. I'm Jean-Luc, today, as usual, hosted by Jean-Luc and Diego. Diego, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I was just telling you I had a surprise visit in my kitchen today. Unfortunately, I didn't get to An iguana. You know, consume it. <laughs> but it, it was huge. Like, yeah. Well, he uh, still managed, managed to find his way out, which was either disappointing or relieving, depending on the tactics. I think he was as shocked as I was when I saw it, so he escaped. But speaking of escaping and, you know, talking about getting shocked or encountering difficult situations, a topic that's really interesting and maybe very relevant nowadays especially is the topic surrounding brain drain people migrating from one location to another and particularly skilled people migrating from one location to another for a better life whereas the country or location they're leaving is basically being left with you know less skilled people and that kind of has different impacts, different consequences. So we thought it would be interesting to explore that topic a bit today on, is it real? Because, you know, you hear this topic a lot, but is it real? What is brain drain? Is it only something that affects poor countries, developing countries, or advanced countries even? So who does it affect and how can you cope with brain drain? Is it something you do for yourself? Is it bad? Is it good? So let's dig into it. Chen Luke. Right off the bat, we, we got some comments saying like, hey, 60% of the people <laughs> I know are already fleeing the country. So I, the first thing I want to talk about is, is defining brain drain, which you kind of already did. But yeah, so, it's, often, so, it's often that we connect brain drain through developing countries, but is that fair though? That's, that's the first question you have to ask. Is it fair to just generalize and think that the brain drain is something that only help happens in developing countries? Because I feel it's not the case. Likewise. So if, if we look at the, at the definition, it's basically just, you know, highly skilled or educated individuals going from one country to another in pursuit of a better opportunity a better living condition. So if you're going from a rich country where maybe you preach your career cap or that opportunity isn't there and you leave that to another country 
and you have better opportunities. That's also a form of brain drain. But because it has a bigger impact, I think, on developing countries compared to the more advanced developed countries, that spotlight is being put but, on that, but is that the much case? more. Is that the case? Is it the case that that is because only affecting is, developing like, countries? Is, I think it's developing all yeah. a lot of countries. Okay, so so let's first you kind of describe what a brain drain is. Then the second question is how does it come about? Like what what triggers a brain drain? Because in in my personal experience, brain drains are triggered events. It's not automatically it's something that slowly can go about but when we talk about a brain drain it's often like so on a massive in, scale on a big scale yeah. so it's a, basically a mass exodus of people yeah. leaving right yeah uh, so so that's that's and then and then we start thinking like what what's a major reason why a, a brain drain occurs a war for instance like war is kind of the biggest brain drain a reason for brain drain. Like, for instance, when when would you move to another country? When you're no longer safe, right? So yeah, even, safety even, and security is, is a yeah, big factor. So even, even people who don't want to migrate in those situations, migrate in those situations because of fear for their life. So war but would definitely be number one. Even though you consider that a trigger event cause, yeah. It is more for safety than for better. Well, yeah, you could categorize. Yeah. So it's in that sense, it's not about like, hey, I, I'm, I'm the, 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 it's not their, it's less their decision, if I may say it like that. You're really being yes. forced. So I, I, I would put it more in the direction of, you know, you're opting in. For moving out, it's it's not a forced event like a war or a pandemic or what you might call it. There is just there are these trigger events that maybe in some regions some industries are booming, like we have now with the oil stuff here. So there are Caribbean countries brain draining on each other, and uh, in, really in that sense, I really so that's the, how how I want to I find, a, I find how, more how I want to label it. Yeah, I find it more interesting because from a brain drain perspective, it's really curious. It's kind of this psychological experiment whether or not actually smart and skilled people would move back to their country, like saying, hey, there's a war going on. My country's at war, so my country needs me. Should I? And I should go. Or to say like, hey, I think the smart thing to do right now is kind of flee this country because... Our country is at war and it's getting dangerous. So it's kind of that, but that's the first major event that, that people would identify. The second one would be a revolution, which is really interesting because again, with a revolution, you would think like if it's, if it's on a positive side, that a revolution would probably trigger people to be like, Hey, we're Refaulting, we're going to build a big, better nation. So we want better skilled labor in. But in reality, often the opposite happens. Yeah, because reality, it's often. When you have revolutions, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty, right? And 
people often look at the risk, least risky option. They want to have some security, some safety. So after the revolution or even during the revolution, that's the most uncertain period. You don't know what's going to happen. Even if they promise something better, you don't know. So if you have an option to have a more secured lifestyle or life in another country, you'll opt in for that option. Maybe you want to return after a few years when things stabilize, but you want to remove yourself from danger, from the risks. And I think that's the big factor there if it's come to safety. Then the other one, which is also interesting, which ties into that, is the collapse of a current regime. That could also trigger a, a major brain drain. The collapse of the regime. I, I understand where you're coming from, but I don't want to, how do you say this? Have this discussion in, in a certain direction of, you know, very doom and gloomy on a very political or governmental. But that's event. the interesting thing about it. So, it, it, so like, okay, it let's call it governmental is, reform. Let's is it usually reform. related to a governmental political reform? Yes, usually it is. So, I, I, I mean, you, you could go very abstract. Like, you could even have a brain drain based on, let's just say racism, for instance. If, if you look at apartheid in, in South Africa, that actually had a very big impact on the brain drain of South Africa as well, at some point, of course, not yeah. all over, like during the whole history that apartheid was there, but probably during apartheid, that's, and in some cases, cases have been mentioned of there being due to that racial injustice and imbalance, people saying, skilled labor saying like, hey, I can go to another country where I'm actually more respected for my skilled labor compared to staying here. And, and that's, so that's, that would be, I think we might even see more of that, not necessarily racial injust injustice, but a social injustice in general, or even a social hysteria leading for people to say like, hey, you know what? I'm going to live in a different state or a different country just to be away from that environment, which I feel like doesn't work for me. And the reason why this is such an interesting topic is also because there's more information than ever. So there's also more opportunities than ever. And the reason why it's important to still consider the political aspect is the geopolitics and the need for a visa for especially developing countries to make that decision because a brain drain is only possible to country yeah, that, actually allows, yeah. that allows yeah. you to, to get in. And then we're just talking about, right now we're talking about national brain, brain drain, right? Like from, from one country to another one. That's usually how it's categorized. On a local level, basically, when people go from the districts, from the outskirts to the capital city or to major cities, that's also a form of brain drain and centralization. But because you concentrate it in a smaller scale, because it's a better life in the capital city, for example, it's also a form of brain drain. But usually in the, in the broader context, it's on a national level from one country to another country basically contributing to the workforce and 
economy there and removing the skill that you would have to contribute to your own country. Okay. Now, we kind of define it now, also giving like a little bit of a context in, in what in what way we see it. Would you consider brain drain a real thing? Yes or no? Yes, but very, I'm going to say this very nuanced. That's basically being for the, the reasons you mentioned or the examples you mentioned. Basically, the b- biggest factor is safety, right? Safety and predictability. So that's, that's the one thing that plays a major role. And if you, have, if you don't have that safety net and there's a lot of uncertainty in you where you are and people start slowly leaving and you see your peers, the highly skilled peers, especially start moving, people will start looking for those opportunities as well. So in that, in that sense, yes, brain drain. It's, yeah, it's, it's real. It's, it's, interesting. Like it's interesting that you mentioned uncertainty and then moving to an even more uncertain situation because you can look at it from a certainty perspective, but it's actually more well, uncertain situation. For me, yeah, I feel so, if, if you have a brain yeah. drain, people go out of their comfort zone to way from something they know to something that they don't know even. There is, let's say, there is uns- there's a certainty in the uncertainty they have locally, whereas there is a opportunity, an uncertain opportunity, a uncertain better opportunity to the location they're going. So it's it's a weight of you know what's the potential potential upside compared to the potential downside. So I that's how I view it basically, especially when you have people in highly skilled jobs, engineers. Uh, jobs that you can do for, for from anywhere, medical workers, if they see they can make, you know, five, 10 times the amount they make here, or they can advance their career and get better skills, they can get the education, then they would opt in to leave compared to locally because either you're limited locally to the opportunities that you have, or there is more, you know, risk even though you know the situation locally better. Okay, but now playing devil's advocate, isn't it? Okay, the the brain drain itself is very real because it happens. But with the current developments technologically, the current developments economically, wouldn't it make more sense now to stay in certain environments if you can replicate the positive aspects from the other environment that you are going to move to, if you could replicate, replicate it. So how will you replicate it? Because some factors are out of your control. So let's take Suriname, for example, where we, because we, we have a lot of people we know that have left the countries, moved to the Netherlands or states, whatever, because of other opportunities, even to our neighboring countries, Guyana. Because there, the the oil industry is already attracting a lot of expats to to work there, and they're offering better salaries than you could get for the same job locally, and that, that that's just basic fact. And if you can replicate that here, we, we we don't have it here yet. So, who is supposed to replicate that and 
are you willing to wait and take on that risk to shape that environment? So I think that's a personal choice that people have to make. Yeah, I, I think I think it's I think you mentioned it very clearly that it's it's in the end it's a, it's an often an economic an of economic situation. Like in, if you look at the current brain drain that's going on, it has a lot to do with inflation. Yeah, well, well, once, inflation once is, the sec- security and uncertainty of yeah. the threat of war or something is removed, then the next yeah. thing to look at, and mostly, yeah, is the econ- economic factor. It's the economic factor. So the first is security and the second one is financial benefits. So now it's very financial beneficiary actually to move to another country out of Suriname, for instance, because just for the salaries alone. So if you're like, especially if you don't have commitments as family members that you need to take care of, but even with that, because there is, there is this buyback where when you go abroad and yeah, the, the remittance industry, basically. the remittance industry is, is already pretty large. Often in Suriname, like in many other developing countries. So let's let's take to that into consideration. Yes, there is a remittance industry of people brain drain going on, and then people sending money back to their to their current country of origin. But if if you look at the opportunities that are available in other countries at the moment, and that's also largely due to the situation there, there are just certain jobs that in Western societies. Westerners no longer want to do. So there are yeah. certain skilled labor jobs, which are often considered a little bit low-skilled labor, labor jobs, that become available, which for people coming out of an, an industry or a society where you earn much less than that are actually like huge opportunities. It's kind of like exactly. migrant culture, right? So if you look at from that perspective, yes, it would make total sense. But if you look at from a perspective in an industry where you already kind of have high-skilled labor and you don't physically have to be present, there are some interesting jobs that are already available in developing countries for Western companies. The only thing you have to do is be able to guarantee that the level of service in those countries is similar or even better than in the Western countries. And once you're able to establish that, there's actually a, a very big win-win because the rates are a little bit lower compared to the Western market, but you get the same quality and in the Western market, nobody's willing to do the work anymore. For sure, definitely. With the rise of remote work, that has become an option for many people. But oftentimes, for the security, it's also the lifestyle or the social benefits that you have in set countries where you, where you migrate to that people look into, like, you know, just the social system, the social care there. Even though some things are much cheaper here, they kind of prefer something more predictable or being taken care of. So that's another factor to take into account. But for sure, for many, once you can get those connections of doing a job remotely, then 
yeah, that's a huge opportunity. It's basically a win because you get that X amount of income from somewhere in Europe and you live in a country in the Caribbean. That's a huge win. And you could basically live be better than average if you're smart about it. Well, the other thing is maybe people want to grow in their in their career, in their education, in their skill level. Some positions require you to be physically there and maybe the traveling back and forth might be too expensive. So you, you need to outweigh that. Is it beneficial to completely move or a, can I just stay far away? And for some people that's habit, you know, you, you just it in your own little base and you don't need to worry about anything else. But for others that are very driven or need people or need that office environment or need to move around, then it would make more sense for them to move. And also being exposed to or living in that environment, you know, the, the environmental effects also play a role there, you know, how you're going to live. So that's the other factor, I would say. I think I fully agree with you. And, and of course, the interesting thing is that many Western people from Western societies have actually benefited from moving remote and being able to get their audience. But indeed, starting off in the Western society with already having those clients and then moving yeah. towards... So, yeah. so if you look at the more advanced economies, people who've established that working remote or have a, have a fixed clientele and they don't need to be physically present, they kind of migrate to lower cost countries. So I think Spain and Portugal in Europe is a popular destination for people to move out of Greece, away from Greece Germany. Is, Greece is yeah, really popular be, be, as well. Because it's cheaper to live there and they can still do the same work and travel is relatively easy. So and that's it's much better weather. True. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's less gloomy, cold and gloomy. So that's the other factor or at least another factor to take into consideration. And when we mentioned brain drain in the beginning, it's not just, you know, the developing countries, but there is a certain degree of brain drain from the developed okay. countries as well. But so, the ratio, the ratio and the value impact that it has on the countries, that's the interesting thing to look at. Well, well, but then let's, let's go to the value impact because hear me out, just like there's a lot of high skilled labor moving from developing countries to Western countries or developed countries, right? There's also a lot of high-skilled labor moving from Western countries to developing countries. Yes. Right? So what's the impact that that has on the Western countries as well? You also get weaker leadership. You also get less skilled people. And of course, the percentage is going to play a, a certain role. What was that on leadership? I misheard you, or I, I didn't clearly hear you there. No, so even if, if you have like a skilled labor, but also, also local leaders deciding, hey, it's better to go live in Southeast Asia and enjoy my life there. Yeah. With them moving away, not taking in those leadership positions that they would usually take in to build a better nation or a better country. That's also a pretty big impact as well. And I think there's also something very interesting which doesn't get talked about. And that's also the generational pool 
of people no longer feeling the necessity that it's their job to save a certain nation or to save the government or to save anything for that matter. Saying like, hey, first of all, I'm, I'm pretty much aware that I'm not bigger than I think I am. And even though people want to put me in a box of that person, the savior, I know that I'm only a savior to a certain extent and I shouldn't, I should be humble about my skill set and not think that because I have a certain skill set that is a little bit better than others, that I'm actually a savior and I will be able to save the world. So that plays into account. Second thing that plays to account is also saying like, hey, listen, I don't like the office politics. So even though I would be very capable of helping this company out. There's too many office politics involved that don't allow me to do the proper work. So you know what? I don't have to do it and I'll do something else. So even though that on a scale you would say like, yeah, that's pretty small. It's still often more than you think and having also an impact on the environments of structures and societies where we feel like, oh, they've got their structure figured out. They're struggling as well. Okay, so on the point of leadership, I can see where you're coming from. You say someone with leadership skills, a leadership position, moving to a country in Southeast Asia, developing country. Basically, they're not going to come contribute in the same way that they would, that a local person, a highly skilled local person would taking certain leadership positions because they want to escape from that. Whereas the people in that have the skills and want to go leadership positions, they're kind of being held back by the system. And if you can go to a country with a better system, taking better care of you, they can offer their services there. Well, Look it at it the, doesn't even have to be take better care of you. It's just like you're saying like, I'm all it. I'm, I'm, I yeah. no longer believe that this societal structure benefits anyone. Exactly. But then they don't contribute that value in the, in the developing country they move to. If they move from a rich country or a advanced economy, a developing country, they don't necessarily contribute in leadership. They basically contribute economically to a certain degree, but to a lesser extent because they can live also a more leadership. lavish life. Because they show locals that it's possible to set up a certain business. That, that like should what? be taken into consideration, right? Like yeah, often in those cases, they go to like, for instance, they go to Southeast Asia and they start running a business a certain way. And the locals look at that business, even become a part of it, work there and figure out like, hey, this is an actual business model that would be interesting for us. Of course, there's always a missing ingredient, which is the link to the to the other country, but aside from that, basically they can provide a leadership expertise and or even more. They, I, I agree, but how often does it happen? Do you have some examples for yeah, us? I, I'm, uh, no, I'm really, the reason I bring it up is, is to see whether or not this is actually a way to counter the brain drain, actually. By saying like, hey, if a country has a brain drain one way, you could get a brain brain gain the other way. The only thing is you have to have policy in place for that. I was about to mention because if you look at the traffic from, you know, developing to advanced economy, usually the more advanced developed economies have policies to limit 
a certain amount of skilled migrant workers. So they can basically open up or close the, the, the faucet, the, the, the drain on how many people are allowed to do that. Whereas the other way around, there's no policies that say, oh, if you come and live here, you should do a certain amount of added value, have a certain amount of added value to the country. So that, that's what you don't have. So yes, I, I do agree that the policies are important. And, and that's the missing ingredient, I'd say, if, if you look at the direction of the brain drain traffic. Okay, and then the other thing, because you're calling me out on statistics, which I don't have, but maybe you have the statistics on the remittance economy from, from people who've over the past 40 years moved to another country and are actually still supporting the country where they came from. Because I've, I feel that's a very big part as well. I don't have the statistics necessarily, but I do remember if you think about our conversation with, who was it again? Boris on El Salvador. And basically he mentioned that the remittance industry is the biggest income source for the country because they have so many workers in the U.S. that I think I'm just guessing here, but look back in that episode, but it was more than 50% of the, the economy is thanks to the remittances that come in to the country from skilled workers going outside. So yeah, it is a big industry, but then, then you get the, the question, right? Basically the skilled workers are outside. So that, that's the problem there. It's not about the money flowing in. It's about the skills going okay. away. And then you can develop the country less local. If you look at it from that perspective, what would be your ideal situation? It's difficult. Like, what would be the ideal situation? Well, what, what am I? Am, so, am, am I the... Yeah, so who, you, could, you could say, like, you could build a system where your remittance kind of becomes part of the national policy. But as how are you going to do that? As where is it, it sound? Yeah, because yeah. you're going into people's private businesses basically and yeah, you're how are you gonna how are no, you gonna no. regulate it <laughs> so, 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 so that that's the, the issue yes. that you get there and do you want to regulate it that's the thing exactly okay if you look at different examples of how brain drains were battled you get to situations like India where they're like okay we're gonna invest in higher education we're gonna try to have as many innovation hubs options as yeah well. so we're that's focus that you attract yeah yes we're gonna focus on more local production we're gonna highly value local production then you have the the chinese method which is uh, and that's that's really attracting overseas talent to come back to china which is a lot more difficult than it sounds can you explain and, the China one? I, I, I have heard about it, but... Okay, I don't know a very big deal about it, but in most cases, it's like getting support to live abroad. And in, 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 for that support to live abroad, you kind of pay back to, to, to the government. But it's a very leftist, communist, communist kind of structure. So basically, the higher-skilled Chinese individuals get support from the government to study abroad or work abroad, but they have a contractual obligation to yes, get something. Which is not weird because if you go through the 
I'm not sure if it's the UNDP or one of the other scholarships in Japan, which I almost applied for. You get like a year of tuition for free, like everything paid. I think it's somewhere in the line of $35,000, which you get as a full grant to study in Japan. But you have to return to your country of origin to work and help build society. That's usually so most scholarships. That's usually the case. So it's yeah, not that, weird for just, a country to ask but, yeah, but, that, yeah. but on that yeah. point, that's usually a policy to help other countries. Like New, New Zealand had the same thing. But okay. the reality is what a lot of people do, and maybe this is reading between the lines, but also what, what I've heard and been told is they attract the people from abroad through these government programs. Yeah. Whereas the, you are con- contractually obliged to do X amount of years in your own country, contribute to that development and local economy. But in this way, because they get people from overseas to their country, they show them that it's better there. There's better system. Basically, there's better education. There's a better standard of life. So it becomes, once they've done their time, basically not ta- talking like a prison, once they've done their time back in their country, they make it easier because they, the connections are already there to, yeah. for them to come back. So that's how they get you. They show you the good stuff. It's basically the carrot. And then you go back for a little while, you get the stick, and then they get you back and they know they've educated you. They know what they've invested in you. And then you contribute after a few years back to their country. So that's yes. the strategy behind that, how I see it. And of course, of course. I, I, I've heard it. There are some other interesting ones. I'm I'm trying to... You you caught me off guard there because there was something that you mentioned that I wanted to jump jump into for sure. I think the most ex, not extreme but interesting thing I saw was the Cuban one, where in Cuba they actually say you're an artist, say you're a skilled musician, you're a pianist. They will pay your piano for you, the state. They will mm-hmm. pay everything for you as long as you're studying. Basically, your instrument, everything you pay. And then when you start performing internationally, you have to pay back to the state. Right. And that's where the difficult part comes in, where talents and skilled labor that is like, hey, wait, okay. On one hand, that was nice. On the other hand, I'm seeing where I'm living now and my opportunities, and they don't go back. So they kind of, escape and become kind of fugitive fugitives in their in, in their own country. So that's interesting as well that it's those systems aren't really guaranteeing that that people buy into the the yeah, because it's, mindset. It's, it's a risk, right? It's a risk that the government takes they basically invest in you as a potential performer returner. So the, the yes, risk the reward I, ratio yeah, the risk reward ratio is also there because cute. they they do invest in that side, but they don't invest in other sides that citizens might find important or relevant in, in this day and age, and that's where it becomes really difficult. Like what other things, for example, in in your Cuba Cuban example? Well, I mean, there's there's certain ways of life, and if you're if you're seen if you have seen like different kind of cultures outside of Cuba, 
compared to the Cuban culture. And if you don't fully buy in to the, to the nationalist culture of Cuba, you might be strayed away, strayed away from, from ever going back because oh, yeah, that's sure. a lifestyle you don't want to live anymore. But it's, it's a lifestyle choice. For sure. There are certain things that are different in Cuba than the rest of the world. And there are people who visit the rest of the world and like, hey, I'm not going to go back there. And those cases can be whether or not they had actual support from the government. In some cases, those are people that never had any support, have a much better lifestyle somewhere else and decide not to go back. But in some cases, there are also people that actually had good support from the government but decided like, okay, but there's things, other things that I value more than yeah. the support that I'm getting. And that makes it really difficult. And that's the reason why I'm so, um, how can I say that? I'm not confused, but conflicted in the sense that when I was studying in Europe, there was a lot around globalization, but it was only globalization from the fundamental perspective and not globalization taking into all considerations into account. And one of the biggest one that it doesn't take into account in theory is the practical approach to political geography. Mm -hmm. That's a fair point because the ability to move freely across borders is very skewed to the advanced economies have a huge advantage compared to the developing countries. Well, just the passports on its own. American passport or a Dutch passport or an Australian or a British passport gets you in so many more countries than a Surinamese passport, for instance. Yeah. So it's, it's, in theory, it's all beautiful that we're moving towards globalization and we are actually moving towards globalization, but especially from an influence perspective. Like it doesn't right. matter anymore, like from which country you are, but if you can influence me and I'm open to it, you will be able to influence me and you will be able to teach me things from your culture, which I can benefit from. So from that perspective completely, but then from the geopolitical perspective where there are certain borders that you just cannot cross if you don't have a certain passport. Are there certain opportunities that you won't be able to get because of the fear? And that fear is only there because of already thousands or sometimes millions of people have already benefited from crossing that line, that geographical line, making it harder for others to do it as well. Yeah, so that's basically what happens to for us here. That's why a lot of people go to the Netherlands, either through the study route or the work route. And they try to get the, the Dutch citizenship, the Dutch passport, because yeah. it, after those years that you've put into it, it allows you the ability to move across those borders more freely. And oftentimes what you see is then they return back after having, you know, gotten that experience, that access. Do they return back it, though? I think that's I've, the biggest know, question know, of the brain drain. I know of a few, at least from my generation, that either have already made a step or are thinking about it. But I also know a lot who just, you know, in the past three, four years left. And from some friends, I know that they're talking about, okay, in a few years, they want to come back because 
then they don't want that 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 high beast lifestyle there compared to what they had here. But they have established a certain amount of you know connections there, a certain amount of insurance there, and now they can take that back here to to basically have a freer lifestyle. So from that perspective, has the brain drain that is taking place over the past decade changed compared to the brain drain that we had in the 90s? I was barely born in the 90s. So I heard stories about, you know, the 80s and into the 90s because you had the the different revolutions and the, that exodus that happened, that that was one trigger. So now it's, I think it's different. It's more a economic like factor that's driving a lot of it. But I think it's also a genera- generational ebb and flow that you have of certain groups of people that go and come. So, so you spoke about that perspective, the a brain drain isn't necessarily a bad thing for a country. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. If, if they go out and, you know, for some people, they're going to stay, you you can't put all people in one basket, but if they see that they have different advantages or liberties in, in their home country, they might return or if conditions stabilize, they might return after they've been able to observe. But then you should have the policies in place that allows them to, you know, help add value once they get back. So yeah, I'll, I'll let you make your point and then... No, but then a difficult question. The a difficult generation question, thing. A difficult question that comes in, are they then overskilled or too niche skilled? How do you, what happens to somebody who moves, becomes part of the brain drain? but becomes a specialist in a developing country, in a developed country and no longer fits within the society they grew up in because they're too specialized or yeah, that, the job opportunity doesn't even exist in, in that country. For sure, there's that, that specialization gap that you'll get. And I definitely get that they're going to be too you know, uh, high skilled, and that's something they, they'll have to either compensate. They either work remotely for the, the other country and then do something part time here just to contribute back. That could also be an opportunity to initiate a new industry to encourage entrepreneurship that they start or pioneer that niche industry that they specialized in. But that's going to be very difficult. So that's the, then you'll have need of certain policies to stimulate that. That that's one way to approach it. But you'll always have that situation with the gap, because that's the reason they left in the first place, because they wanted to further their career, further their education. And if they come back, no one's going to be able to pay them uh, as a small amount of group. So that's opportunity to develop in new industries. So that's the, the, the app and flow of it, I'd say. But then getting back to policy, what would be good policies to have a constant app and flow of brain drain and brain gain? 
I think the most important thing is a stable economy, a predictable economy. It doesn't matter what the exchange rate is. It should just be predictable. But if I say that it's predictable because the inflation is predictable as well, is is that How can you predict that? So it it should be... Stable Predictable in the sense that we have a constant. Oh, we're going to keep rising. We're going to yeah. keep, keep rising. That's a tough one. I don't think anyone would, would want to be there because then you won't have anyone to able to pay you. You charge me X amount today. I charge you 10 times tomorrow because of inflation. That just doesn't work. So in, in, in the local currency, so in, in what monetary system are you going to work? And not to divert too much into that because I have a book right in front of me and we're not going to talk about that. But yeah, so it, a, a stable economy with kind of those policies would be important. I think that's the most important thing. And then to stimulate the production and the specialized uh, workers' skills, that's always going to be a challenge. If you can do it remotely, th- those have an advantage. They can do the work remotely and contribute to the economy back here. So that's a small win that we should celebrate and, and take. But the other gap, that's, that's just going to be something that everyone will need to work on. And uh, it might be again what you mentioned about the generation stuff, because I, I, I did have a comment on it, but we diverted from in, that. In, yeah, I was wondering in the sense if our generation looks differently at migrating back than the generations that experienced the 80s and the revolution and everything as teenagers. So I look at it a bit differently on how the generations work or are supposed to contribute. If you look at how the generations across a developing country versus a more advanced economy work because you have a lot of established social system. So they have less children, basically. The the birth rate of a lot of advanced economies is between one or two, and it's declining slowly over the years because they have the social systems. And that's why they want migrant workers because they need actual skills to run the economy. Whereas the less developed countries, they have more children because that that is seen as workforce. It's it's basically, the children are basically there to take care of them when they turn elderly. So it's a a different outlook. It's It's almost like their assets. Yeah. And it's maybe not a nice way to say it, but that's how they they do look at it. If you look at the basic economies on farming, on, on agriculture, in the past, it's basically they had a lot of children just to help run that more efficiently. If you look at China, three bird bird policies. That's what you had. India, India, that's that's a prime example of that. They are now maybe the bigger cities, the major cities are moving towards a more focused surface based economy, but there's still a huge divide in India. So that, that's, that's the thing about the generations. So if you're comparing generations, it would, it would have to be within one location if you, if you compare the generations 
upon well, locations versus comparing the generations in, in different but locations. But you mentioned something else that's pretty interesting. And that's whether or not there's a correlation between brain drain and more poverty in a country. As in, Elaborate. The brain, well, there are like a lot of countries that are highly successful or considered developed and successful countries, which struggle with the same poverty gap. Something like Venezuela or... Developing countries. Yeah. That know that, that developing countries often experience. It's just that it's a difference between the center and the periphery. Yeah, if, so if you bring that in, to In the economic center, well, yeah. it's like you're on a high international global level. But then when you enter the periphery, it's like, oh, wow, it's the same. It's the same than in the poorer countries. And that's the discussion that was was being made. And that's where I feel to go for circle for me is the media plays a very important role. Because we always experience like, hey, it's a brain drain. I'm still here. And the brain drain is yeah, and the brain drain is is in developing country moving to developing countries. But there, even in developed countries, in Western countries, there's also a brain drain from the periphery to the center. That people go, more and more people will work in big cities where the bigger Yeah, it's, I think Europe and is a prime a example as well. of that. Yeah, your Europe is a prime yeah. example of that since the establishment of the European Union. If you look at Switzerland, Switzerland is basically the financial capital of, in Europe. And... Some skilled workers in other industries, they live in Germany, but they move to Switzerland to work. And that's kind of the, the center, right? The economic center. So people move there and the, the periphery around that, if you look at it from a European Union perspective, Spain, Greece, the, the outskirts uh, and the, 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 the more northern and eastern side is kind of they're they're getting less. There are complete Italian cities that have been abandoned for maybe 20 to 40% of the buildings. Yeah, like and, and like the, the famous touristy spots too. There are like cities in, in Italy where you can buy a house for practically 100 bucks just as long as you come and live there and renovate the house because otherwise it will go completely to waste. So I think the correlation, if we're talking about the correlation and, and poverty, the correlation is skilled workers go to the economic centers yeah, because to either improve their financial situation, their living standards, or their uh, career opportunities. And the periphery, as you mentioned, the, the outskirts kind of get left behind. And that's the same thing if you're looking at it from a more decentralized, fragmented global scale with developed nations versus developing nations. But is becoming part of that economic center, should that be the goal or not? The goal for who? No, but I, if you I, want to... It, it makes sense for people. Yeah, but the, we, we need to define if we're talking about the goal for who, because... If we're looking at it on an individual level, on a nationwide level, so it 
that bit because of the challenge. But On a nation also, level, you want, you want to become a more advanced economy. But how do you do that? You need to attract brain power to your country. And that's the battle, right? What opportunities so, uh, can you get? This is where I find it difficult. Because for me, there's a major difference between brain power and skilled work. Brain, brain power and skilled work is basically higher educated individuals. I, I put them in the same baskets. You can differentiate to the type of work, but basically you need more advanced individuals that can add more value. It's but basically value added. Higher skilled workers are the ones seeking more for economic or financial gain. I think it's, there's a cor correlation there. The, there is a correlation, but it's not one. Yeah, it's, it's not going to be one to one, but yeah. but I, I do think there's a correlation there. I see, I see a comment coming in. Brain rain can give opportunities to other people yeah, to rise I, up the ranks. Yeah, I completely I, that's a comment yeah. that Shanduk mentioned earlier in the yeah. episode. Yeah, I completely agree with that. So I think that's a very interesting to look at. And my major concern comes with these centers of economy that what happens when economy becomes so big that it isn't actually the skilled workers that people are starting to move out flock towards yeah the flocks to but actually people who want to just earn more yeah and there becomes the a disconnect have... between high earning employees and actual skilled labor exactly michael country must attract knowledge and skills to help move the country forward. So that's what, I, to my point, that's what I meant with, you know, you need something to attract people. Like some of the countries are using their universities to attract people. Yes. And, and that's a way because they have that reputation of having good worldwide universities. And to, to get to that point is also a trajectory that you need to do. So we, we need something that separates us, basically looking at a country as a unique, as a business, a unique selling point that attracts people here, that wants people to apply. And to your point on the periphery or centers of economic centers, people moving there, the people already established there are actually moving out because it's yeah. getting too crowded, it's getting too competitive, it's getting too expensive for them. So they slowly move out of the the uh, the center and go into the periphery and i think that's the same phenomenon that's happened when i said you know there's a phase right the people that go here to the netherlands after a few years or decades they come back so there's the ebb and flow of that i think so the but, question is are you being sold a lie by who by your, are you selling yourself a lie i'm not selling myself anything I'm no, here. you're not. You're not. But <laughs> when, you, when you admit to the brain rain, when you decide to say like, hey, I'm actually taking my talents outside of my current country. I think that's the difference, right? How do you view it? Are you viewing it from a bright nationalistic point of view? Or are you viewing it more from a individualistic survival. Nobody, nobody does it from a pride nationalistic view. Solely. Like, there's other factors involved. So I would never say that it would solely be 
you can't yeah. kill off your nature that you do something. So I think that there's your answer. Yeah. If you're selling yourself a lie or not, it's purely on, you know, survival, getting a better life for you, your family, your generations. For me, it depends from person to person. Like Michael says, it depends on where you can thrive as an individual. And for me personally, this relates back to a question that I ask young people all the time. And that is, would you rather be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond? The famous question, and think about it. There is no right or wrong answer if, if nope. you're taking, you know, but Definitely. you need to make the conscious decision. And I think that's important. Having that optionality to do that is important. And that's where brain drain, the geopolitical situation plays a huge role in what advantages does it have for you or not. And then you can outweigh, oh, do I stay or do I go? Do I further my career and come back later? And there's have been people who've gone and come. There's been people who've gone and gone further, but it's all for, you know, living a better life. So I think we're closing the end. And I would say, is brain drain real? That's a question you should answer for yourself. But it's definitely a phenomenon. With that, we're going to definitely close this episode off. Diego, we still have to do some plugs. So if you made it all Oh, the yeah. Way I forgot. The end of this episode. You did not call me out. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not going to call you out. But if you that are listening or watching the rerun of this episode made it all the way to the end, we want to thank you for being a loyal listener of Social Convos. And don't forget to subscribe to Diego Amorali's YouTube page or to follow us on Instagram on IG, which is Confos, our username is Confos. Diego will pop it up in a moment on the screen. And last but not least, all episodes by the end of the month will be re released on all streaming platforms. So you can go to your favorite streaming platform, whether it's Spotify, these are Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or something else. Feel free to check them out and we'll see you back next week, same place, same time. This was so beautiful. beautiful.